how you're going. Um, let me just say a couple of things before I pray and then get into this passage. I've had the wonderful privilege of the last four years of just really being one part of seeing established church planted and seeing the gospel change people's lives. Um, it has been a, a, a crazy ride over these last four years, but it certainly by no means um, has a lot to do with, with me or our family or whatever. We're just one part of that. And one of the things that the video before just made me really, really thankful for is the way in which God has used every person um, and the way that they're wired and the gifts that they have been given to see um, more and more people grow in their love of Jesus and come to know Jesus as well. Because we're actually on about both of those things and uh, we need all of us doing that together. So I am excited um, to celebrate our fourth birthday today with you and to give thanks to God for you. And I'm also excited as well um, to see actually what the next four years looks like in the next 10 years. Uh, it looks like, but today I'm not really going to give you a, a splurge or a sermon on that, um, I want to actually uh, look at what it will look like for us to have a deep gospel confidence that will actually travel us through not just four years, but another four years and 14 years and 40 years um, of the Christian life. So I'm going to pray um, now, but I just want to say on behalf of like my family and whatever, that we're deeply thankful for you, not just for the people that have been part of Established, but for those of you who have championed us from the sideline, uh, who have supported us financially in prayer, who have wept with us, who have celebrated with us. Um, without you guys, uh, we wouldn't be celebrating the many stories um, of the gospel in Cronulla, in the Shire, and in Established Church as well. So, so thanks you. How, how about I pray and give thanks to God for that. Um, Father God, I thank you um, so much for the things that you have done. Lord God, we give you all of the glory and all of the praise, and because we know that, that in our own efforts, <laughs> we couldn't see um, people's lives being changed. Uh, we couldn't see ourselves growing to be more like you. Um, Holy Spirit, we ask and pray um, that you will continue um, to see established church grow, um, both in our love and knowledge of who you are, um, but also in uh, the number of people who come to see who you are and how awesome that is. And Lord God, help us to be people who have a strong confidence in your gospel and that will see us through the long term, not just four years in a church plant, um, but for the next 40 years, Lord, for your glory. Amen. Um, on our most recent holidays, uh, the Murrays decided that we were going to conquer the Pacific Ocean. Uh, we decided to take this boat trip about 80 kilometers off the coast of Queensland. And the plan was we would visit this uh, tropical island, pristine blue waters, and um, the Great Barrier Reef coral wrapping around it, beautiful lagoon. That, uh, it's called Lady Musgrave Island. And the plan was that we would take this two-hour boat trip out to this beautiful island where we would see turtles, sharks, manta rays, and then we'd be able to come back and kind of brag a little bit about the fact that we had conquered the Great Barrier Reef and we had conquered the Pacific Ocean and we'd have lots of nice photographs to show people and to put up on the gram, all of that kind of stuff. Anyway, on the way out there, um, it was kind of not too bad. Uh, it was looking a little bit moody. The swell was up a little bit. But when we arrived in the boat and came into the lagoon, um, the sun was just starting to pierce through a little bit. So we hopped on this little glass-bottomed boat and traveled across the reef, saw some turtles, arrived on this, this pristine island, and then just boom, 
the storm hit. Lightning, the rain came up, the wind just absolutely whipped up, and it was absolutely on. And we found ourselves with our whole family sitting underneath this really pitiful looking tree like this, trying to protect ourselves from the wind like penguins and the rain that was just crashing down on top of us. We were completely soaked. And then it just got from bad to worse from that point on. We had to wait for about another 20, 30 minutes for the glass bottom boat to come along and take us back to the big boat. Only by that stage, the squall had kind of whipped up even within the lagoon. And as we were going back in the little boat, it was like somebody had a big bucket of water and just going, like throwing salt water in your face every couple of minutes. The kids were all like hiding and Catherine's trying to protect them. And, uh, And then it just got worse. I kind of thought that that was pretty bad, but it went from bad to worse. And as soon as we ended up outside of the Outside of the lagoon, on our way back, um, about 60 to 70 kilometer an hour winds just whipped up. And the boat was rocking back and forward. In fact, it really looked like the boat was nearly tipping into the ocean itself. And, and as it was rocking back and forward, this girl starts screaming, Ah! Megan, stop! Megan, stop! Megan, stop! We're going to die! We're going to die! And, and, and people are being ejected out of the seats. And, and like, it's just absolute carnage. People are being uh, starting to throw up at this point. I think probably about 70% of the people were spewing on the boat. And uh, then at that point, in the middle of, oh, this guy, about 19 years of age, 160 kilograms maybe, decides that he's not going to spew in a bag, but he's going to run to the back of the boat um, to kind of spew in the, in the toilet. And he just gets up and he's like a cannonball, just Boof, and he looks like he's literally going to wreck people because the boat's just going boof, like this, like this, rolling back and forth. There's ah, screaming, there's spewing, there's everything. And all that you could do was just hold on and try and get some kind of shot of the horizon outside of this capsule that looked like it was going to collapse. And, um, and then I looked at my watch, and we'd only been going for about 30 minutes, right? We had another two hours of that to go and it just continued from bad to worse. And, and I can tell you that all thoughts of uh, being a conqueror of the Pacific Ocean at that point was just completely gone. Um, all thoughts of coming back with like beautiful pictures to show everybody was just completely gone. In fact, I wasn't even confident that we were going to get back. Like I literally wasn't. All I could do was hold on. I could do nothing else. Um, the Christian life often feels like that, doesn't it? The Christian life often feels like that because, you see, we get passages like Romans 8 where we're told, or or maybe you've just become a Christian and and you're told the Christian life is going to be awesome. We read Romans 8 that we're going to be more than conquerors, that God is for us and nobody can be against us. And we set out on this journey, right? Believing we are more than conquerors until the moment when the squall comes in. Until the winds whip up, until the seas start tumbling down, when we face opposition, when we struggle with sin, when we wrestle with doubt, when we find moments where we're questioning God, the moments where we face hardship, where we're left questioning kind of whether or not we'll even get home, leaving us questioning things like like if God is really for us, if that's actually really true. If things really will work out in the end, are we really going to be people who are conquerors? 
Will we reach the finish line? I mean, even Maddie brought that up before. Will I still be following Jesus when I'm 80? Well, today, Establish, I want to give you a present. And it's not a present that comes from me. It's a present that comes from Paul and his words in Romans 8 that I reckon when we open them up together, it will give us a deep gospel confidence that we're going to be able to continue to trust in Jesus so that we can actually truly say that we will be more than conquerors through the ups and downs of life. Now, if you're here um, and you're not, uh, you don't yet consider yourself a follower of Jesus, don't, don't switch off because I reckon you want to hear this confidence, right? Uh, because actually embedded in the middle of this message of Jesus is a deep confidence that Paul holds out um, for everyone. And it's a confidence that you can have as well in following Jesus. So I reckon that it's worth continuing to listen to. And we're going to look at three things, right, as we dig into this Romans 8. We're going to see the root of gospel confidence, the response of gospel confidence, and then the reality of gospel confidence. So the root of gospel confidence, the response of gospel confidence, and then the reality of gospel confidence. So first up, the root of gospel confidence. One of the things... I reckon that we easily misunderstand, right, when it comes to uh, challenges that we face in the Christian life, is that we believe that the root of our confidence is found in us, that, that actually it's found in our ability to perform and persevere. We, we wrongly believe that, right, that in the end, we kind of think that it's in all about our ability and to be able to get back home, it's all about our ability to be able to conquer the Christian life and all about our ability to do the right thing and just stick it out long enough so that maybe in our ability, in our performance and perseverance, that, that we will actually reach the end. Now, if you're anything like me, that's not a very sure foundation, is it? Like, I hope you realize that about yourself. If you're trusting in yourself, in your performance and in your perseverance, it's not a very sure thing. But I don't want you just to see that. I want you to actually also see what it is that Paul says here is the root of Christian confidence. Because you see, the confidence that we have as Christians is not found in ourselves. It's found in the gospel. And Paul highlights for us um, what that confidence is by looking at five words. Now, let's read it together. If you've got the Bible there, look at chapter 8, verses 29 to 30. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose for, and that for is like a because, um, it's the reason for the confidence, right? So for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now, what's Paul saying here? Well, he's saying, right, that the root of gospel confidence is not found in our performance and our perseverance or in our ability in any way, shape, or form. It's found in God's. Did you see how many times it said, he, not me, in that passage? Did you see that? God foreknew. In other words, he foreknew. He predestined. He called. He justified. He glorified. He, 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 not me. 
But I remember when I first worked this out, I was reading a book by John Bunyan that I was given. And, uh, and, and it was just like, I just went through and I've still got it. I've scribbled a, a circle around every time it said the word he. Because I was knocked out by the fact that probably something about 60 times in two pages, it talked about he. And probably only about once it talked about me. And when it was talking about me, it was just talking about the benefit that I got of receiving the love of Jesus. Awesome. Completely blew me away about, about 14 years ago, something like that. It's about he, not me. It's not found in our performance and our perseverance, but in God's with us. And we understand that a little bit more when we dig into the words that he's saying here and, and understand them a little bit. The first one is the word foreknowledge, right? Now, the word foreknowledge it's pretty easy in on one hand. It just means to have a knowledge beforehand. And in this case, and in the, the, the context of the Bible, the, in the knowledge here is a knowledge of people before the creation of time. But that knowledge, right, it isn't a knowledge where God looks forward from way back before he created the world and he looks forward into time and he sees Lee Murray and he goes, oh yeah, that Lee fella, he's a good chap. You know, he's Irish, doesn't really bode very well for him, but um, he's going to have faith. He's going to follow me. Um, so I'm going to call him, and I'm going to justify him. And no, no, it's not that. That idea is called provenient grace, right? But, but when you look at Romans, you, you see that it can't be that, because in Romans 1 to 3, Paul basically argues that there's no one who seeks God. That there's no one who is righteous. In other words, no one who is right with God or, or has enough of the goods to be right with God. There's no one who understands him. Um, and that certainly was true of me. There was nothing in me that meant that God somehow looked forward and saw that Lee would have faith and had some goods for him to love me. None whatsoever. And in fact, in Ephesians, another book that Paul writes in chapter 2, verse 8, he basically says that even that faith that we have is a gift that has been given to us by God. So the knowledge that he's talking about here that he has beforehand is a different type of knowledge to that, right? Now, I'm going to just go right for the jugular here because the knowledge that, that he has is similar to a knowledge that Adam has for Eve in Genesis 4 verse 1. And here's the knowledge, right? It's a knowledge where Adam knew his wife and she conceived. Now, that's not just this ref, strange reference to God and sexual love and all of that kind of stuff, right? But it's a similar kind of knowledge. And it's a knowledge that basically says, it basically says this, that from the beginning of time, God loved you. That his heart was before you. That his affections were deep towards you, not because of your performance, not because of your perseverance, because how could it have been based on that at all, but simply because he chose you. Established, do you realize that? Like, I get this, right? The God of the universe, the God who made absolutely everything and made you has known you from before the beginning of time, has delighted in you, has loved you, has set his heart before you for a very, 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 very long time. 
For those God foreknew, he predestined. Now, this word's a little bit easier to understand. It just means to determine beforehand, right? But it's what he predetermines is actually the interesting thing here because he foreknew, he predetermined. Do you see what it says? That you might be conformed to the image of his son. Now, there's a certainty about this, that you will be made more like Jesus, that you will be brought into his family as a brother or a sister, not established. We talk about um, seeing, we want to see many people establish life in Jesus. And it's easy to misunderstand that what we're talking about there is that we just want to see people come to know Jesus, right? But actually, we don't just want people to come to know Jesus. We want people to grow to be more like Jesus because we believe that that is where life and true life is found. And the reality is, if we follow Jesus, if you love Jesus, God predetermined, like beforehand, that you would be made more like him. That that is a thing that he would actually do in you and for you. Now, for sure, we work out our salvation, absolutely, but the assurance and the confidence that we have that, that he will continue that work and that he will actually make you more like Jesus has nothing to do with you in many ways. We work it out, but the confidence that we have is found in the fact that this is what he predetermined before he even called you. Now that changes things, doesn't it? That, that absolutely changes how we view the storms in our Christian life, I reckon. It shapes how we view the ups and downs. It, it really challenges and impacts our, our confidence and, and how we view our confidence when we struggle with sin. That regardless of the rough edges that we have, regardless of the fact that we maybe keep on falling into the same thing over and over again, that God is committed to actually continuing to work in you and make you more like Jesus. Because that's what he predetermined. He foreknew, he predetermined, and he also called. Now, I love this word, and I love it because when you read it in its context, it just seems like it's unquestionable what the response is. Did you see that? Like, did you feel that when you're reading it? If he calls, it just seems absolutely certain and inevitable that he will also justify, that he will also glorify. Now, that happens in many different ways. For some of you, it's through your, been through your family or friends saying something to you. For me, it was um, a life event that meant that um, I ended up deciding somehow to go to church. And I went to church, hated it, didn't really like Christians all that much, but I wanted to keep on coming back. And I kept on coming back. And eight months later, I ended up becoming a Christian. I put my trust in Jesus. It, this calling is something that just seems to be something that has got a completely like, certain outcome. Now, we call that effectual calling in theological terms in like, biblical nerd speak, right? But here's what it means. It just simply means that if God called you, if he is wooing you, if he has called you and he is showing himself to you, that he will justify you. All you need to do is accept it. And in actual fact, there may be some of you here today, right, who, who you feel uh, that God is calling you. You might have been dragged along kicking and screaming and whatever, not realizing what you were letting yourself in for. But, but for whatever reason, you kind of go, hey, there's something here. There's something in this. Maybe you've been checking out Jesus for a long time and you keep on coming back and you're not quite certain why. Well, it could be, right? Couldn't it? 
that the God of the universe is actually calling you. And if he is, keep listening. Keep coming. Keep engaging with him and work out what it is that he's holding out for you. Now, the word justified has got two ideas embedded in it, right? And it basically relates to what it is that Jesus did on the cross. And on one hand, it talks about the thing that God, that Jesus gives us, that he gives us his righteousness. So essentially, his performance and his perseverance, his obedience to God, he gives to us. Um, but also as well, this idea of justification means that all of the sin or all of the rebellion that we ever had against God was something that was paid by Jesus on the cross. And that means that we are justified. It's like just as we have never sinned. And essentially what happens there is that Jesus takes on all of the guilt and all of the shame of all of our feelings, past, present, and future. And as a result of that, it means that he views you as holy, as righteous, as cleansed. And here's the crazy part about this that I really want you to see. This actually is about all of your sin, right? It really is that you've been forgiven for all of your sin in the past. It really is that you've been forgiven for your sin in the present, even the stuff that you're struggling with today. And it really, really is that his death was sufficient enough for all of this sin that you might do in the future. And in fact, one of the reasons that I know that is that when you look at the word glorified, right? Glorified or glorification is basically just a word that means that you will be made more like Jesus. So that thing that God predetermined to do will actually happen. And it's something that kind of happens a little bit now, but it happens fully when we end up in heaven, right? When we end up being with Jesus. Now, that hasn't happened yet. So you would expect here, wouldn't you, that Paul is talking about the future. But what's the tense of the word? It's in the past, isn't it? said, you will be glorified. You are glorified. Why does he do that? Well, he does that, I think, because he knows that the outcome is absolutely certain. That regardless of the storms, regardless of the question, regardless of the struggles, if we are in Christ Jesus and we have been justified, we will and we are glorified. It's as good as done. It's as good as done for Paul. Now, that's confidence, isn't it? That's gospel confidence. And because you see, that is, because that is the root of our gospel confidence, then we can respond with a gospel confidence as well. And in this next bit, right, the verses following from that, Paul um, basically gives us a number of responses as a result of that foundation. Here's the first one. So the response to gospel confidence. Romans 8, 31. So in light of all of these things, all of the things that we've just said before, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, there will be people who are against you. Paul knew that. He had many people who were against him because of the gospel. But in the midst of the storm, right, of opposition, even if it was everyone who was against you, that ought to not really matter because God is for you. Now, the problem is when we're in the midst of that, when we feel like we're facing opposition and persecution, whether it's from uh, just people that you know or people that you don't know, we often feel, don't we, that, that God is not for us. In fact, that he has abandoned us. Or maybe he's kind of just there, but he's not really for us. 
He's not really coming in to bat for us. And, and I get that. I understand that because in the midst of that, it's, it's difficult for us to work that out because we end up hearing, don't we, the accusations over the affirmation of the gospel. The accusations end up being way louder than the affirmations of Paul that we read here. But establish, if it's true, right? Get this, if it's true what Paul has said, then the response of gospel confidence is one that even though you may face hardship and trials, God actually is for you. He is in your corner. And we see the extent of that when we look at these other responses, right? So have a look at the second one. He who did not spare his own son but gave himself up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Now, there's strange grammar stuff going on there, but, but in the midst of the storm and in the squall, I think we really struggle with this, don't we? We, we, we find it hard to actually think that God will give us what we need. We actually question whether or not he'll give us what we need to continue. We question whether or not we'll give us that whether or not he will give us the amount of um, forgiveness that we need to continue. Um, we we just we question it all, don't we? We question that he'll give us the things that we talk about in two Peter one three um, for living the Christian life, just in general. And and it's hard not to feel like that. But for Paul, if God has given you the hardest thing, right? If he has given you the hardest thing and he has given you the best thing, how will he not graciously give us all things? How will he not? You know, if he didn't spare his son, but yet give his son up for us, what makes us think that he won't continue to give us everything that we need to actually see us through to the end? He will. And he does. Even in those moments where we don't see it even to the point where we can say that we will be victorious. But where we might even get that, right? <laughs> I reckon it's the next couple of responses that are a bit more difficult, at least for me. Verse 33, who will bring any charge against you or against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. We really find it hard to believe that God has forgiven all of our sin, past, present, and future, especially in the present. And we get anxious about the future, don't we? It's easy for us to think that, that God is just somehow up there. He's maybe saved us, but he's hiding up there like some kind of spiritual cop just waiting to catch you out. That he's got the right questions that he can ask you to trip you up and to work out what it is um, that you have done so that he can charge you again, so that he can condemn you. But what's Paul's answer here, right? To who it is that can bring us any charge? It's no one. Why? Because God justified. It's because of the root of our gospel confidence, right? Now, if I justified you, or if you justified you, or if your church justified you, then you're not on very solid ground. But if the God of the universe justifies you and says that you are clear that it is just as though you have never sinned, then man, what confidence is that? He set you free in Christ Jesus. That's confidence. 
In fact, because of that, no one can condemn you. Not Satan, not others. You can't even condemn you. Not because you've got confidence in yourself, but because of the gospel confidence that Jesus died and he rose again. And do you know what else? Here's the crazy thing, right? And in the midst of all of that, when we're in these squalls and wrestling with it, Jesus, right, get this, is actually with God the Father, and he is interceding on your behalf. Now, interceding is a weird word, right? But often we think that Jesus is up there kind of going, hey, that leaf fella, you know what? Like, I looked like he was going to go well, and he's not really going all that well. Forget about him, you know? Like, just trap him, catch him out, work it out. He's, he's doomed. And um, that girl, Maddie, you know, like, like, man, she keeps on struggling, you know? Like, all of this time, just let's trip her up. Not really worth it anymore. Nah. Now, we think that, don't we? We might not say it, but we think it. But do you know where Jesus is? Do you know what he's saying? He is there at the right hand of the Father. And he is reminding him of his promises. He is reminding him of the fact that he has paid and justified. Not because he needs to remember and he has forgotten. But just to keep on going, hey, this Lee person, this Maddie person, this person. I have died for them. They are justified. They are glorified. He is there in your corner. And you know he's there even in the midst of your sin as well. God's not trying to trip you up. He's not trying to trick you. He's not trying to work out the right questions to ask, even when you hear a sermon and it makes you feel guilty. No, no, no. He's not in the business of that. He is in the business of shaping you. He is in the business of of helping you to be more like Jesus. And that will mean that there will be things that you need to change. Absolutely. There will be things you need to say sorry for. Absolutely. But if God is for us, who can be against us? It's crazy, isn't it? No one, no one can condemn us. No one can bring charge against us, which actually means, right, that we can have this crazy gospel confidence. The reality of our gospel confidence is this. Have a look at verse 35. Who shall separate us? Now, just listen to this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. Come down to verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow, if that doesn't get the blood boiling, I don't know what will. And that's because the root of our gospel confidence is not finding us, it's finding God. You see, because the response of gospel confidence is that God is for us, that he will not bring any charge against us or condemn us, then the reality, the reality of gospel confidence is that. Now, on our boat trip, right, when the boat's going like this, 
screaming, spewing, bloke kind of trying to run down, taking everybody out. Um, it was like absolutely crazy. Like once, Grace, my daughter, put her head literally on my shoulder, and it was enough to eject me out of the chair. The boat was actually rolling back and forward that much. Crazy, absolutely crazy. Anyway, in the midst of that, standing in the middle of the gangway up the front, there was this bloke. He was kind of like one of these old sea dogs, right? You know, like beard, whatever. He looked like he was 100, but he was probably 30. And um, he's just standing there as chilled as you like whilst everybody else is looking worried, right? Now, he was one of the crew, and he was also happened to be like this old school um, commercial fisherman or whatever. And that meant that in the midst of this squall, he was standing there literally like this, just chilling when everybody else is going bunkers thinking that they're going to die. And um, he just had complete confidence, right? Because you see, he knew boats. He knew the way they were built. He knew storms. He had been in storms that were way, way worse than that. See, he had complete confidence that he would get back home. He had confidence that regardless of the squall, that he would conquer the Pacific Ocean, you know, once again. And that's why he was just standing there like this. Now, he was still doing stuff. He was slipping, like, chewing gum to people who were kind of getting overwhelmed by the smell of spew and all of that kind of stuff. And, but in between that, he was just standing with his arms folded. Now, I think this is a picture of gospel confidence that we can have as Christians that we should have as Christians. Because you see, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are in the most secure vessel for life that you could ever be in. It is safe. It is secure. If you are in Christ Jesus and you trust in him, you will get back to shore. You can be confident that not only will you be a conqueror, that you will be more than a conqueror, regardless of the squalls, regardless of accusation, regardless of persecution, regardless of how weak you feel. If you are in the vessel of Christ Jesus, you can have a confidence way greater than that old sea dog on that ship. Because you know what? Even death, even death, cannot separate you from the love of Christ. Now that's something to celebrate on our birthday, isn't it? Absolutely it is because, you know, this last year has brought storms, hasn't it? This last year, some of you have questioned whether or not God is actually for you. This year has caused some of you to question God's goodness, to even worry about whether or not you will make it to the end. And the answer to that question, according to Paul, is this, right? If God is for you, then he will give you all things. According to Paul, if God is for you, then no one can bring any charge or condemn you. According to Paul, there is absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. And because of that, the reality of gospel confidence is that you will be more than conquerors. Not because of your work, but because of his. How's that for a gospel message, right? You nearly don't even need to say anything about it. Now, that's pretty awesome for our personal confidence, I think. And, and I hope that if you're here and you're exploring Jesus, that you see the confidence that you can have, not just in life, but actually also in death. And, and if you feel like God is calling you, keep on checking out this thing. 
actually work out whether or not Jesus is worth putting his trust in because he is. Don't miss out on that. But I think it also gives us something else to be confident in just as we move ahead, right, as a church collectively when it comes to the mission um, of seeing people establish life in Jesus. Here's the first thing. There's two things. Here's the first one. I think when we read stuff like this, it ought not to surprise us that squalls are going to come in, right? It shouldn't surprise us when it comes to the mission of God, which is actually what the Roman church was doing, right? It shouldn't surprise us that squalls are going to come. You know, we're not so much a pleasure boat going out to Lady Musgrave Island. We're a rescue boat, aren't we? And and Paul's pretty clear on that, that being a rescue boat will mean that you will actually face squalls of many kind. And, And that means there will be times where, because it's full of people like us, right? People like me, that there will be times where it'll feel uncomfortable. There will be times where you feel like you want to scream out. There will be times where you feel like you want to dart for the headlines or even jump overboard, right? But here's the thing. The presence of those squalls is not a sign that God has abandoned us. Rather, he is there for us in those things whether personally or collectively. In fact, he uses those things. Get this, he uses those things to shape us and mold us towards the thing that he has predetermined, which is to make us more like Jesus. Be confident in that. It's tough, for sure. We'll face many more, I'm sure, in the future, both personally and collectively, but we know, don't we, that these squalls will come, and we know despite those squalls, in fact, even in those squalls, God is for us. We can have a gospel confidence in that. Second thing, um, this should give us great confidence, I reckon, for the mission. Many people argue that this kind of stops you from doing the mission, but I think it's the complete opposite, right? Because you see, if God foreknew and he predestined and he will effectually call people, that actually means that his plan will come to fruition. And we know that because he does it for people like me, right? He does it for people and has done it for people like you. Most people, when I became a Christian, said, yeah, right, not that bloke. I hated Christians, hated church, hated God. But something changed, something happened. That actually means that we can have a gospel confidence that there are people in your work, people in your family, people in your unit blocks, people in Cronulla, people in the Shire, maybe even people tonight who God has called and will call. And if he has done that and he has done the other things before that, then he will justify, he will glorify. We can be absolutely certain of that. We can have a gospel confidence in that. That's why I love what Maddie said before. You know, I can keep on doing these things. I can keep on actually offering invitations, talking about the gospel. But you know, that thing, that thing is up to God because it's only him who will change people. What confidence is that? That is awesome, isn't it? Absolutely awesome. Now, this is true even when it's hard for us to connect with people. It's true when we struggle to follow people up. It's true when we have good seasons. It's true when we have bad seasons. And that means, I reckon, um, that we can have confidence enough, even in this mission. And you're going to hear this from me, right, which sounds strange. Um, I reckon that this means that we can have confidence to, at times, stand like the old sea dog and fold our arms when it comes to this mission. Not confidence that we stop doing work, 
because he kept on doing work. He kept on helping people who were sick. He kept on comforting people. He kept on doing that. But in between those moments, he stood back and he folded his arms because he had confidence. And I think for us as a church established, as we move forward, we keep working together to see people establish life in Jesus, where they come to know Jesus and grow to be more like Jesus. And as we do that, we can do that with a bit of confidence. Not because we're all that, but because God is. He's got it. He's in control. Establish. Let's be a church um, that journeys the next four years in a way that has a deep gospel confidence together for your life and also for the lives of many people who might come to know him. Let's do that. It's been an absolute privilege to have these four years with you guys, and I'm praying that we see four and we see 40, although I might be dead by then, um, but that at least established continues in terms of the gospel. And let's be confident, I, that if we are in the vessel of Jesus, we can be absolutely confident that we are more than conquerors, that we will reach the end. Hey, why don't we pray? And Father God, I just um, thank you so much that we can have a real deep confidence in what it is that you are doing in and through us. Help us to trust that. Lord God, I pray for anybody who feels like you are nudging them and calling them. And Father God, we know that you will let them see who you are and we pray that they will put their trust in you. Lord God, we thank you that we can have confidence in our life. We thank you that we can have confidence regardless of the squalls. And we thank you that we can have confidence even in and through death itself. Amen. In Psalm 57 we read, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you.